Well, I'd like to invite you to turn to the book of Philippians. It's on page, oh, page number's not there, Philippians 4, okay? Uh, here we go. It's on page 1827 in the Blue Pew Bibles. Uh, before we read the passage, um, I want to talk a little bit about this season of Advent that we're in and, and the anticipation of Christmas, um, because it always seems to me that there's something that happens in this season that feels miraculous. And I know that there are movies that, that portray this in a kind of a secular way, um, but it feels in this season like we're on the verge of something mysterious going on. Like there's something that's there that you can't see, but is very real. And you can't put your finger on exactly what it is, but there's a joy in this season that even people who aren't followers of Jesus, they, they get it. They, they sense this joy. And a, a, an example of this that I think we can all relate to is what children experience in anticipating Christmas morning. Uh, I remember as a kid not being able to sleep the night before and, and the days leading up to it, just imagining what that Christmas morning would be like. And some of it was related to the presents, for, for sure, and the desire, you know, wondering what it is that I would get. But to be honest with you, even the, the morning of, as I sat and, and look, would look at the presents under the tree, it wasn't even so much about what I was going to get. It was just the wonder of the experience of the anticipation of it was almost as joyful as the experience of receiving those things. Do you, can you recall that, that feeling of expectancy, especially that you had as a child? And I know there are kids in the room who are probably thinking that right now. I can't wait for that Christmas morning to come. Last week, Don talked about the reality of waiting. That, first of all, that we're not very good at it. <laughs> that we don't, we're not good at waiting. We don't like to wait but that waiting is good for us, that God is actually doing something while we're waiting. Something within us is changing because of the experience of not receiving that which we know is coming. And Advent, the season that we're in of, of waiting for the coming of Christ at his birth, just as the Israelites were waiting for the Messiah to come, we wait for Christ now to return, that that experience of waiting is a discipline that is needed for followers of Jesus. It's like a child waiting for Christmas is learning how to experience joy without the fulfillment of the joy. And so the question that I want to ask, believing that that's true, that waiting is good for us, the question I want to ask this morning that I think this passage speaks to is, how should we wait? What should we do while we're waiting to prepare our hearts and to live fully in that waiting experience, to, to let it do its work in us. What should we do? How should we live? And our text is not really one of your typical Christmas stories. Uh, it's not about the angels or the shepherds or Mary and Joseph. Uh, it's not one of the prophecies about the Messiah that would come that we're going to unpack and see how it was fulfilled. It's from one of Paul's letters to the church in Philippi, to the Philippians, but this passage captures the heart of this anticipation of what God will do, of Christ's coming. 
that we feel at Christmas. And so we're called to live with peace and joy in a world that is not peaceful and joyful. And this passage speaks to that. So I'm going to read Philippians 4, uh, verses 4 through 7, just a short one, and it should be familiar, but I think it speaks to the moment that we're in now. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Mm. Lord, be with us as we seek to understand what this passage means. Amen. So how do we wait? How does Paul tell us that we ought to wait? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he says it again. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now that word rejoice Uh, We use it a little bit, especially in religious circles. It does get used in culture, but not very often because it's not the same as be happy. But it is a verb. So rejoice is just like the verbal form of the word joy. It's literally, it's it's like saying to do joy (laughs) or to be joyful, But, but really it's an action. It's do joy in your life. Rejoice means choosing to be joyful, choosing to experience life with this perspective. And so it means we're commended to live with joy as our reality. And I think it's very important not to confuse it, as our culture does, with happiness. So often when the idea of joy gets used, it's like a way of saying extra happy. Happy is like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy, you know, things are good. But joy is like, now I'm, I'm really super happy. But that is not, that can't be That cannot be what it is. If Paul is saying, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice, because every experience in our life does not produce the feeling of happiness, right? And is it possible to be in a state of joy, but to actually not be happy? I believe that it is. And in fact, I think we experience that very often at this time of year. Because while Christmas is full of of happy experiences, for many of us, and I think actually for all of us in one way or another, Christmas can also be, this Advent waiting for Christmas can also be a time of sorrow. If we've lost loved ones who are no longer with us in the season, we experience sadness in Advent. That sadness doesn't mean that there is no joy but it is a reality. Sometimes we, um, we long for things to be different than they are, especially in relationships. Sometimes the brokenness of relationships, especially in family life, get heightened in this waiting season for Christmas, right? But those broken relationships don't mean that, that there is no joy. So there is the possibility of living in this tension of, of knowing that we're called to be joyful and yet not feeling not feeling all the positive emotions that our culture, our society attaches to that word. At the time that Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison. 
and waiting for trial at Rome. And if you read the book of Philippians, it doesn't seem like it's being written by somebody who's in prison and possibly about to die. The tone of the letter is, is joy, of peace, of uh, the fulfillment of life. Now, Paul was probably at that time filled with sorrow and fear at different times. He was going through those emotions, but in it, he's kind of defiantly joyful, like even in the face of these bad things that are happening in my life, even in the face of the struggle, there is still something that lies underneath it that brings him great joy. I see uh, that same kind of joy, for me personally, I see it in the lives of older Christians, people who are further along uh, this journey and road uh, than I am. I'm not going to name a particular age or anything like that. But people who have a lot of Christmases under their belt that are followers of Jesus have a steadfastness to the way that they walk through life and walk particularly through hard times. And I think particularly, I hope you're, you're thinking of somebody like that now probably. I'm thinking of my pop-up, my, uh, my mom's father, who he came to faith in Christ later in his life. So he had lived with struggle for a lot of years and there's a lot of you know, pain and, and struggle in the family. But he came to put his faith in Jesus Christ, and it changed the, the tenor of his life. Now, I didn't know him um, in the season of his life that was really hard, but I know, I know as my mom described it, what, what life was like for him then. And but the person that I knew was full of this resilience, this sort of steadfast joy. It didn't mean he was happy all the time. In fact, he was kind of a stoic person. But it was evident in the way that he treated other people and handled his relationships that he was confident in his Lord. And there was this abiding sense of peace in his life in every interaction that he had. I would go stay with them um, at Christmas time often and then during the summer as well. And I always wanted to be around my pop-up. Even though he was a man of few words, he just had this stability and this sense of peace about him. And I'm sure you can think of people in your life that are like that as well, who are followers of Jesus and have this sense of joy, even if everything in their life is not all right. That's what Paul is talking about here. And, and the way he describes it, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. And that word gentleness is insufficient to, to capture the the word here. Other translations have struggled to put an English word on it here because it takes more than one word. But it's this idea that you're showing to the world by the way that you carry yourself that the Lord is with you, that you're at peace, that there's a sense of, of stability. Jesus, I think, talks about it with the language of abiding in him, that you're at peace walking through life um, because you belong to him. Let, let that gentleness, that steadfastness be evident to all because the Lord is near. But it's not easy <laughs> to have that eternal perspective when there are things in your life that are causing you pain. What about the things that cause us to be angry? What about the things that are, that are hurting us or the people that have hurt us? What do we do when something that we are facing attacks that sense of peace, that abiding sense of joy in our lives? Because there are hundreds of activities and anxieties that we are facing that seek to undercut it, that, that, that 
rob us of our joy, that rob us of that sense of wholeness in our life, right? Some people are dealing with um, people in our families who are hurting, and we don't know how to help them. We feel this burden to be there for them, but we can't be there for them or with them. Or maybe sometimes we're the ones who've caused the hurt, and we don't know how to make it right. We don't know how to, how to seek forgiveness. Some of us are facing financial challenges that undercut our sense of stability, and we're so tied to the things of this world that we've lost perspective on uh, the things of God. Some of us are so busy that we can't get through all the things that are pulling against us, and we just feel overwhelmed by life around us. And some of us are facing anxiety that comes from inside, so it's not an external force that's causing us to suffer, but there's something in us whether it's depression or mental illness or, or secret sin, something that's there that we can't get rid of on our own. And then some of us, as we've prayed for this morning, are facing physical illness or pain that robs us of our joy. There's something wrong physically that, we can't, that doesn't seem to be getting right, and we have trouble just focusing on getting through the day. There are so many things that can pull us away from that sense of joy. How is it that we, and how is it that people that, have, that are followers of Jesus can walk through life and have joy even in the midst of those struggles? Well, Paul, in this passage, calls us to pray. Speak to the Lord about what is keeping you from experiencing joy. He puts it this way. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. I don't want to make it sound simplistic, because um, it could come across that way to simply say, well, if you don't feel joyful, you just need to pray about it a little bit more. But I also don't want to overcomplicate it either, because prayer acknowledging and speaking to the God who is near is the primary practice of joyful living. People who live in joy are people who pray. People who believe that God is near and that God hears them and they speak in their hearts or out loud to the God who is near. That they trust that this one who is near is with them even in the midst of all these anxieties that we've lifted up. Sometimes I think we forget how powerful prayer can be and how transforming it can be in our lives, or we think of it as something that other people do and is not for me. But think about what prayer means. The God of the universe, the God who is above all things. We talked about this on our, our youth retreat a couple of weeks ago. The God who is, is part of this vast expanse of the universe sees you individually and personally. God is, is, is aware of every single moment, of every single thought, of every single, every single struggle that you're facing in your life. The God who is eternal and, and powerful sees you and knows and understands what's happening in your heart. You don't have to face those things alone because there's a God who is nearer than any person can ever be, and He loves and cares about you. That is what prayer is. But all too often, we ignore that sort of opportunity to speak to the God who is near. Uh, I hope that this, uh, this analogy 
comes across the way I intend it to. Sometimes I think that, that those of us who are immature like me face our struggles in life the way that a teenager walks through struggles that they face with sort of that, the immaturity of a teenager. And this is not meant to be disrespectful to our young people in any way because all of us were teenagers and all of us act like teenagers sometimes now. What I mean by this is very often, uh, even though walking through adolescence is very hard, I don't want to diminish that, teenagers often walk through it as if they don't have resources outside of themselves. So even though there might be parents or teachers or uh, other relatives or coaches or, or trusted adults who have been through that thing before, teenagers often don't turn to the person that is right by, that could be a resource, but instead turn inward and say, oh, they, they'll never understand. They can't possibly know what it is that I'm going through. And so they turn inward on themselves. Or they turn to other teenagers um, who, as wonderful as friends can be, also have not actually experienced those things in life, too. And so teenagers sometimes will close in on themselves, and, and they'll be crying in their room alone when the answer to their relational challenge is literally on the other side of the door, longing to come into the room. We treat God that way sometimes, too. We turn inward or turn to other things in the world, other, you know, self-help kinds of things. Well, maybe somebody else has the answer. When the God who is near is waiting on the other side of the door for us to just open it and, and come in. And when we do turn our hearts toward God with that kind of prayerful submission, that anxiety can be replaced by this mysterious peace and joy. Paul says, he puts it this way, the peace of God which transcends all understanding. Isn't that beautiful? We can't understand it. It's above our understanding, and yet it is so real. That peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And in that, he speaks to both the head, the thoughts that are in your head, but the heart, the soul, the core of who you are. He will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the mysterious and transforming power of what prayer can be in our lives. Uh, C.S. Lewis is one of the great theologians of the 20th century. There's been a movie uh, recently about his life that I haven't seen yet, but, but look forward to seeing it. He was asked uh, in an interview once whether he really thought that his prayers, he was, he was a praying person, do you, do you think your prayers really change God's will? And Lewis said, prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. He was acknowledging that more than anything, prayer is about transforming our hearts, about letting God in to do his work in us, which is really the same thing that Don was talking about last week. The waiting is a transformative experience if we let God in if we open our hearts to see what God might be doing within us. When we have the joy of God in our hearts, when we really let him in, we're willing to turn over those present struggles and the anxieties to God, we can have peace because God replaces the unknown of, of what we are experiencing now 
with this known reality, even though we don't know all of how it's going to turn out, God is going to make everything right in the end, right? Um, one last kind of picture of, of this for me. Uh, in high school, I used to run long-distance races, uh, uh, cross-country track, you know, half mile, mile, and then three miles was, was the 5K, but then practice would be, you know, up to 10 miles sometimes that we would run. And those of you who are not runners or who, who haven't run long distance like that before, you think of running as like punishment for when you've shown up late to practice, right? Other sports used my sport as punishment. That's long distance running. Because when you run for a long time, your body starts to react and it is always painful. Your, your stomach knots up, it's hard to breathe, your legs start to feel heavy, and they're shooting pain. It, this is true of, of every time you really do a really hard, good, long-distance run. And so I think that there's something in, um, in really incredible runners. Not only do they have the athletic ability, obviously there's natural ability to run, but there is something mental. <laughs> there's a shift that happens in really incredible runners where they embrace the pain of it and actually learn to live with joy in the midst of that pain and suffering. That's the analogy that comes to my mind, because at the end of a long-distance race, uh, when I knew that the end was in sight, I could either see the finish line or I knew that it was maybe a quarter mile or a half mile away, I could pour my whole being into running. And it didn't matter how much it hurt, because I knew that the end was in sight. And so there was kind of this joyful expectancy in the midst of the pain, knowing that there was glory in the finish. That's what I think that Paul is talking about here. I believe that Christians should be kind of runners in this sense. We should always have the, the end of the race in mind. And when we celebrate Christmas, God coming into the world, we're reminding ourselves that not only has God come to us, but that God is coming back again. We're going to sing a hymn in a few minutes called uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is a very familiar hymn, but we often forget what the words Emmanuel mean. They mean God with us. So it's a cry, O Come, O Come, I'm longing for God with us. God is already with us, and he is coming with us to be again to be with us again. That is the reality that followers of Jesus live with. We live with this joyful sense of expectation, knowing that God is near and that God is going to make all these things that we're waiting for right in the end. So my, my charge to us today, to myself primarily, but you can listen in on it as well. Take your concerns to the Lord in prayer. Don't forget that he is right next to you. And whatever is on your heart, whatever is causing you pain or anxiety, give it to him. Talk to him about it. As Paul says, put your petitions and your requests to God, knowing that he is present. It does not mean that there will not be continued pain. It doesn't mean that you'll all of a sudden be happy. But I guarantee that if you put yourself in God's hands and express to him in prayer, the, the challenges and the, and the things that are hurting in your life, God can and will give you this mysterious sense of joy. This peace that passes all understanding can be yours in Jesus Christ. Amen?
Lord, we sometimes don't even know how to pray, and so you've given us the Lord's Prayer, as we've prayed earlier, um, to help us be a guide. You've given us the Psalms in Scripture that teach us how to pray. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would, when we turn to you in prayer, speak to our hearts of the truth that we are not our own, but we belong to you, that the, the pain and struggle that we experience in this life is not the end, even in the places that are most hurtful, in, in, whether it's in relationships or in our bodies, the places where we experience the most longing for things to be made right, this waiting, we pray that you would fill in the gaps of those experiences with your love and your truth and remind us that the things we experience now are not the end and that God is with us, that, that because Jesus came and because Jesus is coming again, there is an end where you make all things new, where you make things right, where there's forgiveness and peace and reconciliation and justice. All the things that we long for will be made true in you. And so give us joy and peace in the midst of this waiting. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In response, let's stand and sing that hymn.